and good afternoon. It's Jennifer Bukowski sitting in for Gary Nolan, joined by Kurt Schaefer here in studio. And here is a piece that came across my computer and I wanted to talk to Kurt about. It's an opinion essay in the New York Times. Pig farming doesn't have to be this cruel. In a little discussed pending Supreme Court case, National Pork Producers Council versus Ross, the conditions of pork production are being debated. The case is ostensibly about the limits that one state, California, can impose on food production in other states. But it is also about the grim realities of pig farming, which have largely been hidden from a pork-eating public. And it goes on to say, pigs and people once lived on intimate terms. <laughs> uh, they were oh, kind of yes. like family pets before they Bucolic were you know, slaughtered and eaten. And they got to like root around in the mud and the dirt and eat mm-hmm. leftovers from the humans. And mm-hmm. now they live in miserable <laughs> two foot by seven foot cages. The sows do. And they're just bred to death and have miserable lives. So in 2018, 63% of California voters approved Proposition 12 which effectively bans the sale of pork from farms that use gestation crates. The pork industry has filed suit to invalidate the law, um, and their basis is this uh, kind of uh, controversial dormant commerce clause, which uh, is the proposition that states can't uh, burden interstate commerce, like place an excessive burden on interstate commerce. The pork producers are saying that, you know, we can't track where the pig parts go. And so this will effectively mean that all pork producers are going to have to comply with this Proposition 12. So it'll be a radical change to the pork industry. There's been a lot of amicus briefs. Some suggest that that's being exaggerated and that they do indeed know exactly where those go. So this will just result in higher prices for pork in California. It won't affect the whole country. What are your thoughts about this case, Kurt? Well, first of all, my very first federal trial right out of law school when I was at the attorney general's office was a commerce clause case. And I've had a couple since then. But essentially, the a com- dormant commerce clause. Yeah, absolutely. Dormant. Real commerce clause. All right. Dormant. So essentially, the com- well, it comes from the same language. The, the commerce clause is Article one, Section eight, Clause three of the United States Constitution. And Article one is the powers of Congress. And what Section eight, Clause three says is only Congress can regulate commerce between the states. And the idea was when the country was formed, if you didn't give the federal government this power, you would have this balkanization where states would be you know, implementing tariffs against each other and taxes from you know, products that came from outside their state and things like that. And that really is what the purpose of it. And that's what it's used for. What happens here is, and it's a more modern trend, is you get a state like California that has viewpoints that are not necessarily in line with the rest of the country. Yet they want to impose their views on everyone else. And this has already happened with with eggs. It happened with eggs uh, when Chris Coster was still the attorney general. So I think that was about, what, 10, 8, 10 years ago. And essentially what California did initially was they said, well, if you're going to raise eggs in the state of California, they have to be raised a certain way and the, and the chickens can't be put in crates. And then they passed language that said, and also we are not going to allow eggs to come into California that have been raised inconsistent with the way we raise chickens uh, chickens in, in California. And so now they're doing it with pigs. And they're saying, you know, we have restrictions on how you can raise a pig in the state of California. And not only does that affect how you can legally raise a pig in California, but if you do not raise your pigs in other states the way we say they should be raised, you cannot sell them in California. And that's what the Supreme Court's going to have to decide. Where is that threshold? Because certainly within the state of California, 
If the state of California wants to pass a law on how you can raise chickens or eggs or pigs, they have that ability. But where it gets controversial is they're saying the other 49 states were not taking your products. And it could be pigs. It could be furniture. It could be cars. It could be anything. We're not going to allow them to be sold in the state of California unless you do something in that manufacturing or growing process that is what we would do in California. And that really is a violation of the Dormant Commerce Clause. Unless there's a compelling governmental interest and it's narrowly tailored to what they're trying to control. In this case, it's just that's California. Scrutiny. Yeah, that's scrutiny. I don't know what, about that. Yeah, That's it, the standard. But that but the challengers in this thing note that all the impact from this Proposition 12 almost would fall outside of Correct. California because California only has one-tenth of one percent of the country's breeding pigs. Mm-hmm. So right. all the pork consumed in California is pretty much originates from outside of the state. Right. And, and here's the other thing, too. I mean, California is just being California. And let's face it, they're just nuts on a lot of stuff. I mean, the National Pork you know, Board, they have standards. The University of Missouri at Kavner has a great program on animal husbandry and how you should run your agricultural operation. So it's this isn't like, oh, you know, it's, it's, it's the Wild West. These are professional standards that people who are in this business follow, or they have other consequences in their business. And, and I know a lot of agricultural entities in the state of Missouri that raise that raise pigs, that raise cows, that raise chickens, and they they take those standards very seriously. They care about their animals, and they do follow those standards. And so, for California to say, "Well, we don't think that's enough. We we want something more. We want you know we want pigs to you know stay in hotel rooms when they come to California and be treated you know be named like pets. I mean, whatever it is they want to do, it's ridiculous, and it's ridiculous for a state to try and do that. And it clearly is the purpose of the dormant commerce clause to stop that. And that's why it exists. That's true. But on the one hand, like local control, like as members of the Federalist Society, we believe that there we have a system of federalism and states get to decide certain things and how to run their states. So where's that line between we get to decide? We had a story earlier. We discussed where the California is going to ban uh, those plastic bags you put your produce in. Well, we did. Missouri did ban those plastic. It did ban the ban on plastic bags. Put it that way. I know, but that's <laughs> so. like their purview. If they want to do that, if they want to like have loose vegetables rolling around in their shopping carts because they want to make those because illegal, no, because that's their. That's their well, states have general, have general police power, which the federal government does not have, and that is a basic concept of federalism. But states generally have that police power for things that impact their states. And as you said just a minute ago, these pigs aren't being raised in California. So, so there's no effect on California other than somebody's emotional feelings about the pig, but that really doesn't affect the market. But and the market could just say, okay, I'm not selling pigs to California. I'm not going to comply with this. Then let the, mar- then let the, the and market th- do And maybe that. other people are like, I'll have bigger gestation crates or no gestation crates and comply, and I'll use that as an opportunity oh, to sell. Fine. That's fine. That's more cruelty free pork in California and like let the markets decide that. Sure. There's a huge market for right now in in every state for free range chickens, for organic produce. And that's good. Have that competition. But for California to say no, private business, you cannot contract with, for example, a Missouri pork producer because they are not raising their pigs the way we think they should be raised. That's that's interference in the private market. That's not a police power issue for how something is done. And the other thing, too, this ridiculous New York Times article, this bucolic farmland where people had pigs. Look, I'm an environmental litigator and have actually litigated a lot of these cases. 
the environmental impact that you had when people had, you know, 50, 60 hogs on the back 40 and they were out in the open and usually you had your hogs on a hill so that when it rained, everything went down into the creek. That doesn't exist anymore because, in, in the, you know, there are certainly people who don't like the way a lot of hogs are raised now, but they are generally raised indoors. And the other thing, oh, they ate the table scraps. Yeah, and people got trichinosis because pigs were eating garbage. Trichinosis is virtually eliminated now in the United States. It's why if you look at like Wolfgang Puck's cookbook, he will tell you now that you can cook pork to a lower temperature than you did even 20 years ago because those parasites that used to exist in pork, they don't exist anymore because pork because they're fed a very science-based diet and they're not fed garbage. You know, so for the New York Times to say, oh, those were some great times when we had trichinosis and hog poop in the creek. I mean, that's just ridiculous. They're just being biased. And they're trying to support California, and that's their, their MO, and I understand that. Well, this is just an opinion uh, essay in their opinion section. That some but, editor agreed to put in the New York Times, yes. Yes, so the PETA people that are worried about the pigs. But, I mean, I certainly, like, I don't eat, oh, was the goose the thing? Pate? I don't eat that just from having to read in law school that case. I remember that case. Uh, for the how they make that and they like stuff things down their necks. It just is gross me out. So I don't I pass on that. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, these are certainly issues that people should discuss. And it's your prerogative on what you buy or what you don't buy and what you know products you support. But I, I think this is a step too far for California. Now, keep in mind, when the egg case happened several years ago, uh, Chris Coster was the attorney general at the time, and he sued the state of California under the Commerce Clause. And that case lingered for a very long time. Ultimately, a federal judge in California ruled that the attorney general of the state of Missouri did not have standing to bring that case. And I do not believe that that was ever appealed to the Ninth Circuit, and the case just went away. Huh. Well, in this case, got appealed to the Ninth Circuit. It upheld the lower court's decision, which upheld this Proposition 12, finding it doesn't, uh, I guess, violate the Dormant Com Commerce Clause. So now it goes to the Supreme Court this term to decide this battle over animal welfare, the Dormant Commer Cla Commerce Clause, and the price of bacon. Right. Will and they be bringing home the bacon in California, and how much is it going to cost them? Well, I do believe, and I... I, I think there's data to support this that the cost of eggs in california has gone up substantially after they did the issue with the eggs and so i suspect yes will it make pork more expensive yes yeah and you know california there's so many things that i bet you is that are hard to measure because i've know someone that you know hires people that work remotely and they don't want to hire people out of california because you never know what law they're going to come up with that could just mess up everything for your hr for your accounting oh, yeah it, it's yeah it's like very the, unpredictable the people that are in California, even if they're getting remote work jobs, might be getting, you know, not picked for jobs because of their state of residence. So, you know, this kind of ties in with what California did uh, not that long ago where I didn't they ban they, they have implemented a ban on the on the sale in the state of California of gasoline powered cars by 2035. Yeah. And New York just passed that, too. So now you have two states, New York and California, that have said that. Now, I, I think that's more symbolic because, I mean. It does not appear to me there is any way possible that a state like California or New York could ban the sale of gasoline-powered automobiles by 2035. California does not have the electric infrastructure with their grid to support an entire state of automobiles that only run on electricity. They just – they don't. They yeah. have rolling brownouts as it is now. They're going to have a lot of car dealerships on the border of Nevada and Arizona and, you know, Oregon even – 
where you could go buy a car and bring it back over, right? Because sure, if Absolutely. you have those rolling brownouts, you're going to have to have at least one vehicle that you could put gas in that you can get around in, or it'll be like Cuba where everybody's vehicles are really old. I don't know how that's going to well, end up shaking out up there. Because, yeah, they currently can't keep the lights on consistently in California. <laughs> right. They have fires. They have, like, tent cities. It's like a third world country in parts there. But parts are beautiful and parts are normal looking with American flags waving because I was there twice this summer. And the, if you just watch Fox News, you'd think the whole place is on fire. <laughs> it is not. There are normal people there. It's got yeah, a great but, climate, and that's why people move there. But, but I think they're losing people, and well, they lost a congressperson. Oh, yeah, absolutely. We have a caller on line one that wants to talk about California laws. Sure. John, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks. Hey, uh, my opinion is I'd like to see them uh, uphold California's ability to make these laws um, just because I think the more of this stuff that passes, the faster California is going to you know, sink into a hole and yeah. have other people move out. <laughs> I, I think when and people can't get, can't get to work or school or the hospital or anywhere else because they have a gasoline-powered car or they have an electric car that they can't charge, that's probably going to be a pretty unhappy population in california yeah and if they want to pay extra for pork let them pay extra for pork i yeah, mean yeah i mean you know i i spend some time in california for, in, on some legal issues every now and then and you know the, the one thing that i've really noticed about california especially los angeles is this incredible disparity between wealth and, and absolute yeah. poverty and there's no middle class there's you have no to be middle really class. rich or like homeless to live there now right and and so when you think about it you know a lot of people who really probably don't have a voice in this process are the ones who are going to get hit hardest by some of these policies well they're moving all to texas hopefully they don't make texas blue though that's the concern because yeah. we lose texas we're in big big trouble we'll have to give california back at some point well and i think you'll see a commerce clause case over over the automobile mandate yeah. but not yet it's too speculative i feel now. bad i feel bad for these people in california that can't uh you know get help and that there's no middle class but i mean if that's the first state to reintroduce the guillotine then uh i guess we'll see what happens <laughs> there's five million republicans there which is more than there are people in tons of red states which is interesting that's close to the population of missouri uh, well uh john thank you so much for the call New York, speaking of liberal states, they just got uh, rejected by a federal judge for their attempt to defy the SCOTUS decision upholding the right to bear arms. We'll talk about that as we wrap up with Kurt right after this quick break. Don't go away. You're listening to The Gary Nolan Show on the Zimmer Radio Network. And we're back. This is Jennifer Bukowski sitting in, sitting in for Gary Nolan and joined by my friend Kurt Schaefer, attorney, um, former state senator. And uh, smart guy. So there's another legal story for us to kick around here. Reason Magazine, a federal judge has rejected New York's attempt to defy the SCOTUS decision upholding the right to bear arms. So their governor, who I hear might be, you know, in a closer race, it could be the biggest upset, that governor race in New York. Good. She's the one that stepped in after hero of the left, <laughs> Andrew, uh, what's his face? Cuomo. Cuomo mm -hmm. resigned. So they tried to get around that New York State Rifle and Pistol Association versus Bruin by having all these um, other requirements, uh, such as proving a instead of saying that you have to have a proper cause to get a permit. Now they're like, you have to show good moral character mm -hmm. and do a bunch of other things, trying to exploit different gray areas of that decision. And U.S. District Court Glenn T. Sutterby, uh yesterday constituted 
cast doubt on the constitutionality of the vague standards that New York and several other st- states have retained after Bruin. It, his opinion suggests that sweeping local specific gun bans like New York's, which make leaving home without a gun legally perilous, even for permit holders, are inconsistent with the constitutional right to bear arms. Yeah, I mean, he, here's the thing. You know, when you've got you've got Illinois, mostly driven by Chicago, and New York, D.C., where, you know, you've got all of these Second Amendment cases, all the, the important Second Amendment cases really over the last decade or two coming from, they're not going to stop. So the Supreme Court will define the law the way they have. And, and I think for the most part, at least in the last couple of years, they've certainly gotten it right in, in a lot of regards. But, you know, those states aren't going to care. And D.C. is not going to care. They're, they're going to continue to do what they're doing. I mean, moral character laws, those I mean, those date back to the Civil War when essentially it was a vague standard for whoever was in charge to just make a determination whether or not you were worthy or they liked you. To I get think a, we have that, though, for um, our permits, like our sheriff can say that they're not. Isn't it moral character and like say no on yeah, an application? Here's the thing. you gen- The only time you ever see that generally used is if someone has a conviction for something that is usually related i mean but but the way those are designed is it just gives someone the reason to go i don't think you have good moral character well and, apparently and, this it uh, also involved undefined assessments of temperament sure. judgment and trust well someone's making a, a determination on that it's just somebody who doesn't want you to have a gun to be able to protect yourself so they're gonna whatever you say i mean in some of those states like new york just probably saying that you want to conceal carry is probably considered by some who would make that decision to be a mental illness that you should not get one. And that's the reason you can't have those laws. Right. And well, this judge said that this is basically the same as making them show that they have a good need to carry the gun. And so it's, it's not right. a shall issue. Right. It's no different. It's a may issue. And so in essence, they're just ignoring the Bruin decision. Yeah, that they're going to keep They lost it. at the United States Supreme Court. So, yeah. You know, what uh, there, what there needs to be is, is some consequence there for those states that disregard the law. You know, this is, you know, for a, a good example of this is, you know, remember some states, this is back in the in the late 70s, early 80s. Some states had a federal drinking age or state drinking age of 18. Some were 21. And it was a source of an issue for the federal government. And basically, it was Elizabeth Dole, who was head of the U.S. Department of Transportation at that time, came up with the plan and just said, look. If, if if you have a drinking age of 18, you're not getting any federal highway money. And if you have a drinking age of 21, you get federal hi- you get federal highway money. And that's how you control some of that stuff where they're acting outside the law. But, you know, we need to see a federal government that'll do that. Yeah, we definitely don't have that right now. That's for sure. Uh, we, 2024 is just around the corner, though. So who knows? <laughs> Won't get here fast enough. That's for sure. No kidding. Well, Kurt, thank you so much thank for, you for coming having me on and helping it, me with an hour here on the Karen Show. Thank you very much. It's fun to be here. And uh, we're going to wrap this show up in our last half hour. We're going to have uh, Brian, the other Brian, not Brian, Brian Houseworth, the news Brian guy. Houseworth, the other Brian H., is going to come in and tell us about a new murder case that's going on here locally. And we have an uh, interesting story, like Gavin Newsom's wife was raped by Harvey Weinstein and plans I've to testify against article. him. Yes, Two things like that. So don't go away. Uh, with our last segment of the Gary Nolan Show, Jennifer Bukowski sitting in on the Zimmer Radio Network.
This is The Gary Nolan Show. And we're back on The Gary Nolan Show. This is Jennifer Bukowski having fun, filling in for Gary. Brian Anson, the producer, is pushing all the buttons. And I'm joined by another Brian H., Brian Houseworth, who has an update for us on this latest murder in Columbia. Brian, what's going on? All right, uh, Jen, thank you so much. Uh, always good to see you, and I appreciate your, your good work, as always, uh, in studio. Uh, right now, what I can tell you is that, and I think people that heard our 11 o'clock news will have the bulk of this, but we are still in the process of trying to work with CPD and getting an identification of the woman who was found murdered. Just an absolutely horrific murder. Uh, it happened on High Quest Drive. That's where her body was found, uh, which is just North of uh, be north of Smiley Lane, east of Rangeline, not far from Lang Middle School. For those who are just tuning in, this was a woman who was found in a home, stuffed basically and hidden in a closet. She had been restrained, significant, severe blunt trauma basically to her head, and the injuries are so severe that police are unable to make a positive ID at this time. They believe they know who it is, but they need to be 100% sure. So for right now, they're not able to release a name, and her uh, name is being referred to simply as Jane Doe uh, for now. We do have a suspect in this case. He has been publicly identified by the police. Jen is 37-year-old Adam Connor, C-O-N-N-E-R. He is from the Columbia area. I don't recognize him. We've not reported on him previously. Um, But what I can tell you is he's been arrested for second-degree murder. A couple of other as well, but I've left a message with the prosecutor's office and have not heard back. It does not appear that he has been charged, or if he has been charged, I'm not seeing it on online court records at this time. So that will be uh, one that we will certainly keep you posted on. And uh, if there is some court documents, I'll go down and pick those up. I also have got a very quick update. Uh, there's a story we reported on involving an alleged kidnapping and rape that happened on Friday, Jen. High-profile case. Uh, Uh, The police did not release a lot of information on Friday due to its sensitive nature and out of respect for the victim. So I've been waiting a little bit until until charges have been filed. I do know some other outlets ran with it Friday, and I I get that. I just wanted to wait till the uh, charges were filed, and they have been filed. I can tell you that this is, by the way, totally separate than the murder case, but in the same general area, ironically, 23-year-old Elijah Schwartz Jeffries, who also goes by the name of Elijah Elijah Schwartz, um, and I'm not sure if one is an alias or what, but he's known by police under both. He was captured Friday on Whitegate Drive uh, after being caught by police for allegedly kidnapping and sodomizing a woman. Uh, Charges have been filed. They were filed this morning officially by the Boone County Prosecutor's Office, and he has been charged with rape and two counts of sodomy uh, in this case, and he is scheduled to appear uh, make his initial arraignment via video today at 1 o'clock before Judge Stephanie Morrill. she is going to hear his case at uh, 1 o'clock today. I doubt he's going to get uh, a bond. He certainly doesn't have any bond right now. What I did find, Jennifer, is that he has a full order of protection against him that was issued by Judge Tracy Gonzalez, a full order of protection that was issued on October the 18th, 2021. That is still in effect today, but what I don't know, I can't tell, probably won't be able to tell until I can see some court documents, is the victim in the 2021 case the same victim from Friday's incident. I'm not sure, but he does have a a prior um, incident here in Boone County, and there was actually, I believe, stalking is actually what is listed under that court document, and that was was a a case at 